Hello, everyone, and welcome, or welcome back, to Writer's Block Podcast, where professional comedy writers talk about comedy writing, where they do it, how they do it, how they got there, and most importantly, what you can do to join them. I'm your host, J.R. Havlin. Tonight's episode brought to you by Wood. Make your fifth anniversary special. It's been at least a few episodes since we had a good discussion about submitting to a comedy show, but this one more than makes up for lost time. Lots of great advice and insight coming your way. My guest is Mike Drucker, writer for Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Mike talks about how instrumental Twitter was in helping him get a job. Not too surprising, but he used it in a very particular way. Basically, you treat each tweet like it's part of a submission to at least one show you'd like to be writing for. Then all you have to do is get all the writers on those shows to start following you. Piece of cake! Of course, we talk about standard procedure over at Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, but Mike also shares a few very interesting details about his average workday, as well as his unique way of capturing Jimmy's voice. Spoiler alert, sometimes he's in the shower when he does it. Oh yeah, let that one sink in. As you're about to hear, we have a little fun at Mike's expense after he describes the current status of his comedy career in a slightly awkward way. This sounds corny, but I've lived all of my dreams with comedy. So now I sort of have to like figure out what well, to do with the rest of my life. And I think you need to get you need to call Cafe Press right now and get a t-shirt made up. Hi, I'm Mike Drucker. I've I'm lived like, all I'm, my dreams. Put it on a card. I've lived least. all my dreams. Yeah. But I've like made video games. I've, I've made video games. You can probably tell this just by looking at me. But I've lived all I've my lived dreams. I've lived all my dreams. <laughs> I'm never gonna let you down. I'm <laughs> The teasing continues, much to our combined amusement. Unlike in the Miami Dolphins locker room, boom! Havlin rips another one from the front pages. There's a lot of great stuff in here. Enjoy it, use it, and share it. Definitely share it. If I can share it, you can share it. Why should I have to do all the sharing? This is episode 28. My guest is Mike Drucker. I'm J.R. Havlin. You're part of the writer's block now. Good choice. Mike is good. Mike. I mean, I don't really care, but Mike, uh, Mike is fine. Right, but it, it is actually Michael. It is actually Michael, but there, the when I started, not when I started comedy, but in high school, there was an Arnold Schwarzenegger film called The Sixth Day, and the villain was called Michael Drucker. Oh, is that right? <laughs> Absolutely, just by sheer Beauty. coincidence. So when I started comedy, I went by Mike Drucker just because I figured if people were going to Google me for shows, I didn't want like the IMDb page for. Schwarzenegger film to come up. I like as soon as you you the, the first when you start comedy, you're already concerned about like the publicity. <laughs> my presence, <laughs> my presence online. That's right. That's right. Yeah, that's, that's why such, I go by Mike Drucker. Such savvy. It's what's gotten you where you are. <laughs> it's why I'm a, somewhat of a success. <laughs> uh, well, we'll talk about that. We're here on the writer's block with Mike Drucker. Mike Drucker. We're going to stick with Mike Drucker. Mike Drucker. Uh, writer for Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Am I correct? That's correct. All right, which, and we were talking about this soon to be the Tonight Show. Well, that's not until 2014. We know the uh, date of that. February 17th, I believe. It's at, or maybe later. It's after the Winter Olympics, but I forget the exact date. Okay. And uh, you don't know a lot of details at this point of what's going on with that. No. Nope. We just know that it's happening. We just know that it's happening. I mean, like, you know. For at least, what is it, nine months? Or <laughs> How does that work exactly? Well, that was, it was weird because I was. Like, when I was hired, it wasn't even brought up. I didn't even know. Like, I, I feel like there might have been rumors that I read on, that I read online, not at work, 
And when I was hired, it was just for this show. And then about three or four months in, because um, I was I started in January of last year. Oh, really? And three or four months in, they were like, all right, this is what we're doing. And one day we had to like, like there were hints about it, so we wrote jokes that hinted at it. Wait, you started January this year? January, right? the, January this yeah, year. Okay, yeah. January 2nd. Yeah. So I, I moved to New York on New Year's. Moved back to New York on New Year's. Okay. Um, but at first there were rumors about it, and we didn't know. Like, I'm sure they knew up top, but we, the staff, were just like, this might be a thing, but we don't know. So we wrote a few jokes about it, and then it happened. Wow. So you moved back to New York from where? Dad, you gone out to L.A.? I had... No, I had uh, I started in New York, did stand-up, was uh, intern at SNL, was a graphics, was the graphics guy at SNL for a while. Um, I was getting a lot on Update as a freelancer, and I just couldn't... Was Jimmy working at Update at that time? No, 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 it was Seth. Uh, okay. It was, uh, it was uh, just Seth and Amy at first, then just Seth. Okay. And I was doing very well as an Update freelancer. I was getting a lot on, which is actually really hard to do. Um, and I had a manager at the time, and they talked to them, and they're like, they don't feel like it's the right time, but I wasn't really happy as the graphics guy, because I felt like I was doing well as a writer, so I actually moved to Seattle to write video games for Nintendo. Classic. Classic move. Classic, Classic. comedy path. Yeah, yeah, you and got it. You I... got an in with the vast majority <laughs> of comedy writers. Like, I like the idea of you go to it, if you go to, from now on, you go to interviews, it's like, no, forget about the shows I've worked on. <laughs> Let me fill you in on what's going to get a conversation started. <laughs> a genuine conversation. So I worked as a writer at Nintendo for about uh, two years. A writer for writer. the... Um... Writer for Nintendo. I was a uh, localization writer, which essentially means that I would get a direct... And we could go into this if you want, but I'd get a direct yeah, English translation of a Japanese script, and I'd completely rewrite it, punch it up. Sometimes it was just simple punch-up. Sometimes it was completely rewriting a story and sending notes back to them, and they'd make story for the, changes. For the games. For the video games, yeah. Um, and it was always like off of a uh, off, off of a Jap uh, translated from Japanese. Like the, all the games came from there or something. For like Nintendo, that? yeah. I mean, for other companies, you know, you'll have just full on script writers that just come up with it uh, uh, from nothing. You know, when it's a Western company. But right. since Nintendo's Japanese, I was just I wasn't translating it. I had a translator who'd give me a direct to English script, and I would fix it. Like, you know, completely change jokes, completely re completely reword things. Because the nice thing about a video game is. Things are rendered in real time, so if I change the way someone's talking or a gesture, they can just change their gesture or their talking. Right. Like, it's not like I have to match to lip flaps. Right, yeah. Jesus. So. Were the translations just ridiculous? Um, yes and no. The, the, what Nintendo did that I think was smart was their, all their translators, with the exception of maybe one, were people who were native English speakers who had lived in Japan for about 10 years. So you'd have, like, dudes who just moved there to, like, study Japanese or, like, people who, like... Or bilingual family. So they made sense. What they made you sense. Got. Yeah, okay. What they made sense. But, you know, because they're under such a gun, like, their job is to just do direct English. But what was cool about them is they would, you know, you'd get, you know, a broken grammar script, but they'd be like, in parentheses, they'd be like, this character's accent would be our equivalent of a Brooklyn accent. You know, like, if a character is speaking a certain yeah. way, they'd be like, this is, he's sort of speaking in a slang that you would think of this way. Sure. but And they were that kind of yeah. specific about it? You Did you have the freedom to change that up if you, you felt had, it was necessary? Definitely. Well, like, in my head I could be like, well, I don't think of Brooklyn as this. I think of maybe this as this. Just, like, their notes would almost be more to help me. Interesting thing. So, now, I mean, there's a lot of storytelling going on here as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And do you have to adjust for the different things that the players are going to do as well? I mean, do you have all the different scenarios? Yeah. Um, we, uh... 
we Nintendo, and I'm sure other companies have different methods, but Nintendo had their own proprietary scripting program where it was almost like branching path. So like imagine, unless you did Mario Kart, uh, I don't know. Right. <laughs> but go, go but on. <laughs> and that's okay too. Like yeah. I know it's a very narrow. All you had to do, all you had to write for that was wee. Well, that's the thing too. Is like in between like big story games, you'd get like small projects that took a month, and you'd literally translate a couple screens, a couple messages, and like rewrite the manual. Then you'd be done. Then you'd be handed a game that took you a year. But for the big story games, you'd have branching paths. So it'd be like, okay, this person says this. All right, then it goes to option B or C, depending on what you said. Then it goes to, you know, option C, A or C, B, based on that. Classic if-then programming. Um, But because you do that, you have to keep extraordinarily close track of, you know, what things are said and making sure things make sense. Because if you're way on one branch and then a story thing happens another way, you got to make sure that the player could do all these actions and it would still make sense later. Yeah, it's very easy to lose a thread on that. So that was a huge part of it. So you'd submitted jokes and stuff to SNL, right? To weekend update for the most part. And I'd I written guess. on a, a couple of award shows, like just as like sort of like a creative consultant. Okay, uh, what award shows? Uh, the ESPY Awards, okay. uh, the Annie Animation Awards, some smaller stuff like that. Who'd you work with at the ESPYS? Uh, Seth. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Right. So yeah. and that was part of the reason I, I left was I'd done the ESPYS with Seth and then. I was like, I think this could be a good thing, and I did well, and then they just didn't have the spot for me as a writer at SNL, and I was like, you know, I think it's time for me to... Go try to find something else. Right, exactly. Go to Seattle and Go to really Seattle get and some experience in story writing. <laughs> so you're out there when you... And you're still submitting to... Are you I was doing submit- stand-up out there? I was doing stand-up out there, um, and then I got an offer to do... Because I love video games. Like, it's... You know, I've loved them since I was a kid, so while I was doing that, I got a job offer to do a web series in San Francisco about video games, and that was more... You know, just straight comedy writing, but it was, you know, very narrowly about games. Uh-huh. And I took that because it, it paid better and it was a little more in line with what I wanted to do with my future. So I moved to San Francisco and spent about a year doing funny sketches about video games online. So now it's specifically comedy. Specifically comedy. Okay. Um, and all just web content. And during that time I did Montreal as a stand-up. Can you believe that you can have a job doing this shit? I... <laughs> <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> I think as a kid, I wouldn't have believed it, but also as a kid, I wouldn't have believed how hard it was. Yeah. Because I think as a kid, I was like, oh, I'm going to do comedy and play video games, not realizing... How hard it was just in general, or just really to actually produce... To produce stuff. Like, you know, produce stuff, uh, deal with the criticism, especially with doing web videos, dealing with, like, YouTube comments. Oh, Uh, God. Would you you look at those? Yeah. Oh, Mike. (laughs) Death wish. (laughs) Um, but during that time I did Montreal and it was, uh, and I started to do well on Twitter and it was during the election and I did, did by do Montreal, you mean do a standup set as a, as at, a, at the Montreal comedy Festival. as a new phase at the yeah, Montreal yeah, comedy yeah. festival. So in a way it was sort of like this weird lopsided career I built. And then, you know, that got me some traction as far as like people asking me for specs and <clears throat> stuff like Montreal that. Montreal did. Yeah. 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 It's a good thing. And, uh, then I, then during the election, cause I was the presidential election last year, I just did well on Twitter. I just happened to watch... I watched all the debates. I'd live tweet them. I'd get a lot of retweets. I got, you know, people who were famous as fans. Uh, and I was just very lucky. And name I, one. Name one. Uh, uh, <laughs> Pat Oswalt's been very nice and supportive. Uh, yeah, he can do that sometimes. Um, uh, another very famous person. If, I don't know. I, I can't think of anyone else outside of that. But, like, no, comedy writers. No Ladies Gaga? No Ladies Gaga. Nobody like that. No, like... <laughs> I've never had, like, a generically famous person... Like I've always had famous comedy people. I had like two. Me. I I think I actually I put it. I put on Facebook a, a posting um, of the 
freeze that I took, you know, got a snapshot of, of uh, Tony Danza's I follow you <laughs> on Twitter. Like, why the hell is that happening? Is that a, re- you know, and you're always like, and it has a little check mark next to it. It's Tony Danza. Right. And then usually in, in our, in my case, I don't know if you get this as well, when, when somebody kind of interesting or, 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 or just noticeable starts following me. Yeah. Then I literally go into the office the next day, yeah. and everybody's like, "Hey, Tony Danza's following me." I'm like, "Ah, oh, shit!" It's yeah. just in general, I'm gonna follow the Daily Show writers. Thing. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I'll take it. <laughs> uh, I did. I did get Weird Al to follow me, which was cool. I didn't do anything. He just random follow, randomly followed me. Yeah. You me. never know how that happens. Right. But, and it could. But a lot of times it could be like Patton, Patton you know, yeah. retweeting one time or doing something or other, or just you know, your how your name pops up. Right. It's really a wild thing. It's, you have a lot so of followers. Weird. It's uh, pretty crazy. A lot of car dealerships. A lot of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's weird. That's the weird thing, too. Is like, I'll go through it and I'll be like... like car like, dealerships? I've never heard that one. It, well, I, I have like five... And my dad my dad works in the car business. He's like a... He, he like finances cars for a living. And it might just be he tells his friends about me or something. But like occasionally I'll get like Honda of Kansas City follows you. <laughs> And I'm like, what are you going to get from this comedy feed? Are you really sitting there, Honda of Kansas <laughs> it's, City? It's, it's so weird. Do you follow, do you follow back on the Honda I of Kansas City? I used to. <laughs> when I first started out, I was like, all right, sure, follow back. And that's why I have like, I follow like 3,000 people. Because yeah. it's like, when I started, I was like, oh, you're supposed to just... Now you don't have the balls to unfollow Honda of Kansas City. <laughs> like, oh, they're going to get so pissed at me. I don't want to disappoint Plus, I guy. don't want to miss out on some deals. <laughs> I just don't want to let, I feel like it's almost like an unfollowing is such a weirdly personal thing to do, that yeah, I just don't I, have the heart to do it, unless someone is really annoying me. So, you are out in uh, San Francisco then, you went down to San Francisco. Right. You go to... Uh, um, Montreal. Montreal, get some uh, get some play there, you do a couple of sets, Montreal's a great, there's all kinds of uh, industry there. Um, getting meetings out of that. I did. I did yeah. some meetings. I did just general, general, general meetings. Yeah. I felt bad. I did a meeting and uh, CBS called me in for a meeting. And I've done general meetings before, but like the, after Montreal was the first time that like it wasn't just like so. If it wasn't like it felt like someone had followed me on Twitter and they're like, we'll see what you have. Like people were like, hey, do you want to come to LA? And I was like, so excited. And I went to meetings and people would be like. Do you like acting? And I'm like, I can act. You know, I took do you classes. Like acting. <laughs> I took classes. I mean, if, if you're gonna pay me to do things, I'll do things. I love it. And but like everything was like sort of like, all right, so uh, this is like the fat third best friend of the hero of the sitcom, <laughs> or or it'd be like, hey, okay, we're doing a new procedural yeah. drama. We need a fat research assistant. Yeah. And I'm like, and throughout the like, I like I like acting. I don't. I you know I like I like doing anything funny. But throughout the thing, I was like, yeah, I think I'm gonna stick with writing for a little while. When all of my it's options all like are like mildly retarded neighbors. Right though. <laughs> like I have a joke in my stand-up, but it's absolutely true. Like my only role I've ever been auditioned for is people who like say like Mr. President, there's a problem with the Earth. Like that's my only role in 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 entertainment is to be like sort of like a, a nerdy. Have you assistant. gotten any of them? No, I think I I might have been offered a. GameStop commercial or something that I couldn't do just due to like timing, and it didn't pay well enough for me to be like, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna fly in. <laughs> what do you, fly you need me to fly be? out and do like an in-house yeah. commercial? So, so I just focused on writing more, and then during the election, I you know a couple writers from late night started following me, and then I got a my manager got a call and he called me and they said they're interested in you, 
And I applied a couple times before, and I, I had applied when they did more like cattle call packet submissions. And I think this time it was much more like, oh, we've noticed you personally. That's so crazy. Yeah. I mean, so this is really one of the old, you know, you got your job through Twitter thing, which yeah. is, it almost seems like it's more common than not these days. You know, like yeah. that people, if you're not getting your job because you uh, have already had the experience of having worked at another show. Right. And that's how they know you. You're getting noticed because somebody on a staff knows you from Twitter. The guy, you know, no matter what they say, this guy does this, this, and this, and he's great on Twitter. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's a Twitter. It's a really a fucking job-getting machine. you got to get on there and, yeah. and find that balance so that if you go to the to that profile and you look down, you don't see, like, 75 tweets a day. Right. And, you know, a, a 50% hit rate. I mean, you want to be a little bit careful. Well, and that's the thing, too, is, like, I definitely, and I did this before, like, going back to when I started Twitter, if, if something, like, I felt wasn't funny or just felt really flat, I'd delete it. And You'd go back and delete it. Go, go back and I have it. friends, if they don't get enough, if yeah. they, they, they have a retweet cutoff. If it doesn't get that, then, you know, they'll go back and, and delete it. So, yes, Twitter cheating. Twitter cheating. <laughs> Twitter cheating. But, terrible. But the thing I think a lot of people don't realize, because there's a lot of people on there who get a lot of followers, but just write crazy, insane shit. And I think that what the trick is to show that you can write a variety of different ways on Twitter. Like, it's almost like making Twitter into your resume versus just doing, like, insane racist jokes that can get you 100,000 followers, but at the same time... Or just all sexy dick jokes. All sexy dick jokes. Yeah. Well, tell, tell, tell me about that a little bit, and then, then we'll move on to uh, a little bit more about your day at, uh, um, at Fallon. Mm-hmm. But this is an interesting little distraction. The idea of showing your range yeah. on Twitter... Give me an example of what you're talking about. Um, it's what a, you did consciously, in other words. Like, consciously, like, if I was writing, like, especially during the election. Now, I, again, I'm not on Twitter as much as I used to be. I think I heard you say this on a podcast uh, that I listened to. But, like, now that I work at a show where I have to write comedy every day, it's hard for me to generate jokes for Twitter. Well, generate jokes that you, uh, you know, can give up right, to, to just the give public up for free. Once, yeah, before you know whether or not they're going to get on the show, right. and then by the next day, it's old it's, to you, it's old to the world, and you don't even want to do it. So yeah, it's, exactly. The timing of it makes it more difficult when you're actually employed. Right. Uh, but back when I was writing about video games, and I had more leeway to do stuff about topical events. You know, I'd right. write a bunch of topical stuff, sure. and write celebrity stuff, and write political stuff, and then write stuff that's just more personal. Like I write, you know, a lot of like a lot of my jokes about myself or about, you know, like depression stuff, but switch it up a bit because... Let's get into that, Mike. Let's get into that. But I'd switch it up a bit because I didn't want to become... If you're trying to apply for different jobs, like, if you're just, like, a sassy celebrity news guy, you're not going to get as noticed by The Daily Show, maybe. And if you're just writing, like, personal stuff, you might not get noticed by a late-night show, which has to be more topical. So there's definitely a strategy to it. Now, if you're someone like Rob Delaney, you just figure out your perfect voice, you can just live off your own fan base. But I'm, you know, neither as talented nor as handsome as Rob Delaney. So I just don't have that quality. So it's definitely about trying to just, at least for me, it was about trying to vary it. To show anyone reading it that I wasn't just, you know, I wasn't just a sad fat guy. Or I wasn't just playing video games. Or I wasn't just... But I can play that. <laughs> but I can play it's that. It's in I my range. I'm definitely a sad fat guy who plays video if games. If you're looking for a sad fat if guy. If you're looking for a sad fat guy who plays video games, uh, you know, at Mike Drucker on Twitter, if you got roles. Um... No, but, uh, you know, but I wanted to, you know, doing the election, doing a ton of political stuff was great for my career, you know, but 
it doesn't necessarily always get you the most followers. You know what I mean? Like the people with yeah, the most a trick followers. Yeah, there's that as well, right? Yeah, I mean the people with the most followers on Twitter, besides people who steal jokes, which is a whole different group, but like people who write like cute inspirational jokes. They have a million followers. You know, there's a million people who want to hear like cute dating jokes. There's not a lot of places that they get hired, though. Yeah, you also don't necessarily know how they got those followers and how 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 many of them are Honda dealerships. <laughs> <laughs> All right, listen, we'll uh, um we'll be right back with uh, uh Mike Drucker, uh, writer for uh, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, and we'll talk uh, more about that show. Oh. Break time. Speaking of Twitter, don't forget to follow the podcast at Writer's Block Pod and me at J.R. Havlin and Mike at Mike Drucker and of course, Katy Perry at Katy Perry. Tell her J.R. Havlin sent you. Be sure to tune in November 20th for our next episode with my guest Daily Show writer Trayvon Free who took an unusual road to comedy writing, a road that went through lovely Compton, California. Well, to give you an idea of 90s Compton, there was robberies, murders carjackings these things were a regular like kids you can't you can't shield kids in that environment they see everything i saw everything i saw multiple drive-by shootings i saw you saw them from like your literally you no were... no i was standing on the street across the street as they were happening so if the guy that was the victim happened to be on your side of the street, you could have just I got caught up in the I middle could not, of that. There would be no podcast. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> I'm mean, out of respect <laughs> for someone I never knew. I would, just, I would just feel that. Why would I do this? Yeah, it's just, because it's empty. Right. It ain't exactly the Harvard Lampoon, but look at him now. Until then, let's return to the previously scheduled program. Uh, we're back. Not, uh, we're back. We're just back. <laughs> Why do I say, uh? Why do I open with, uh? Like, it's just... Give yourself a little more time to think. Yeah, just that split <laughs> second. Mike Drucker, writer for Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. And let's, uh, let's be perfectly clear, Mike, and you can, you can correct me if I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. You and I, up until a half an hour ago, have never met. Never met. And up until a couple of, a week ago... Never had any interaction. None. Zero. And this was by design, am I right? I've avoided you as hard as possible. That's right. You, <laughs> you know better than to get mixed up on that Havlin Anyone Anyone who has... I walked into your apartment, or, and there's like eight Emmys just on your shelves. They're hidden in the it back. It just makes they, me... You, you had to, you had to <laughs> you look around. You don't have enough room it's for not, Emmys. It's not like you... It, it's, it's not like you have to step over them in the foyer. <laughs> Would, There's like a moat of Emmys that all writers have to step over. I, they're in, they're on shelves in my <laughs> office area. You know, yes, I'm not unproud of them. <laughs> no, you should be very proud of them. Yeah. Um, no, there's only there's only five up there actually. There's one oh, down there's, there's, here. There's one here in the storage closet. Storage you closet. literally have an Emmy in your storage closet. But it's a big storage closet. It's we big. talked you also about have bicycles before. and typewriters yeah. and a half bath and a half bath. Yeah. Probably a few Writers Guild Awards just thrown in a corner. No, that's upstairs somewhere. That's that's uh, uh, that's right under my TV in the bedroom. Right. Yeah, you got to look around. Like, you got to poke around a little more next time you're over. It's like a hidden object game. <laughs> if I find them all, I get like a piece of cheese. Yeah. So, I was telling you before. Uh, actually, when you came in last night's show was frozen on my screen mm-hmm. because yeah. I was in the middle of uh, watching it, uh, which is a thing that I 
fessed up, I don't do. Yeah. Um, I am not a late night comedy show, talk show watcher. Yeah. But with, but I see far more of Fallon than any other show, although Kimmel does it a lot too, just online in clips. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Mm, that's all that I see of those things. So I see, I do see a lot of that stuff, and that's usually kind of highlights and best of kind of stuff, which is a decent way to do it. And oh, yeah. you know, you're not going to see a lot of the celebrity interviews that don't go anywhere. But we were talking earlier that because last night's episode, uh, Mike and I are talking now. What is uh, what is today? November second. <clears throat> November second. So it's Saturday, November second. Uh, um, so Friday night's show was with uh, Harrison Ford. And you and I were talking about how, you know, you do the, obviously you do the, this the standard format of the monologue, desk right. bit, going to the guest, maybe another bit, guest, right. musical guest. He frequently has musical guests. Mm-hmm. But with Jimmy, when I've watched and when I've seen clips and stuff, he seems to go out of his way to come up with things to do with the guests. Right, yeah. That take it into more of a sketchy, fun thing and and keep him from just concentrating on hey what's your new movie about right uh before we get into how much you have to do with that kind of thing Mm -hmm. you're not monologue you're staff writer i'm monologue but it's a very thin line on our show so you do go back and forth you can come up with other ideas absolutely and the monologue for for fallon is also very sketchy there's a lot of sketch stuff in there not sketchy as in weird but (laughs) Yeah, we it's really sketchy. Kids. I mean, I don't know if it really... We read our monologues in a van. Um, well, there were a couple of funny things on, on last night's episode. I don't know if you had anything to do with them. It's always fun if you did. But yeah. the setup of the joke was that uh, Washington, D.C. has recently... Or they're considering legalizing small amounts of marijuana. Oh, yeah. So this is what it would look like if they did. And so they just take a bunch of politicians and have these really the awkward hive. freezes yeah. of them that look like they're high. And it really panned out. Yeah. It's an easy... But it's an easy thing to find... But a good idea to come up with, right? It's it's, it's and people, yeah. I didn't. I forget which writer did that. It was one of the sketch writers. Um, but, but it breaks up the oh the, yeah the it breaks up the the setup punchline aspect of it, which I think you know it seems like for a guy like Jimmy is really important, especially yeah. You know, you think about uh, you think about Weekend Update and and uh, um, and how that get that gets broken up in that way, right? And then there was a. Um, oh, actually, it went on after that. Do you do the uh, or the late night superlatives? Yeah, that we was, work on that those. was also on the. the uh, mm-hmm. That was a monologue. Yeah, which was really funny. Yeah, that's that's a lot of fun to work. And on. that's a repeating bit, a recurring bit. That's I that's a new recurring bit. A new recurring bit. Um, I think we I think we started we might have start, started at the start of the NFL season. Um, it's always with rec- NFL players or something. I think so. Uh, I think we might have done it with, uh, maybe we did it with hockey a couple times back during the Stanley Cup. So maybe it did start back then. I think it's always sort of like what the big news sport is going on now. I don't know if there's a specific rule as far as like who we picked to to make fun of. Yeah, because I guess that's where you're going to get the most headshots to go ahead and mess with. Yeah, And we do. We literally, I mean, it's it's so crazy. It's literally like if you were in elementary school and you just got like a worksheet. We get a pack of headshots and names, and, and you, just and you handwrite it. And one and the writer who's the responsible for you that handwrite it. You handwrite it. <laughs> Why is that a directive? I, I think. Well, I think it's because it's just, just so it's on to, the thing, right. so they can look at it. And see right. It. Exactly. So it's not like they have to go. They have to. Sorry, I just I just made a visual yeah, representation yeah. <laughs> of that on the pocket, so they don't have to like look at the screen and look down. Um, they, you know, have our assistant print out. 13 packets for us, you know, and we each get one. We write your name on it, and they end up using seven of them or whatever. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And you so, don't want to overload. 
No. Well, we take them. Our show. What our show does uh, that's pretty rare is we go in front of a rehearsal audience. So we take our monologue and all our monologue bits in front of a rehearsal audience of like a without, tour group. Without the guests. Without the guests. <clears throat> that's interesting. I didn't know that. So we yeah we do a comedy rehearsal with Jimmy. It's Jimmy. It's not like the writers doing it. Uh, Jimmy in front of a rehearsal group and we cut out probably about a third of our stuff based on that. And yeah. it gives him and it it also helps him write. <laughs> you know, like he'll read a joke and he'll riff off it and then that riff will make it into the final monologue. And this applies also to thank you notes. You know, all yeah. our bits go in front of a rehearsal crowd. Things that are a bit more production-y, like musical numbers, don't. Right. Because there's nothing, you know, the audience, we're not going to cut musical numbers out of a song. Right, exactly. By himself. Like, but a lot of times he does them with somebody else. I mean, Well, I mean, like, even if he does, like, anything that's funny that's more production-y, like, if he does, like, a sketch type thing, mm-hmm. we won't put that in front of a rehearsal crowd just because, you know, we're not going to necessarily cut out, like, beats of a sketch based on their laughter. But, you know, things where it's like, you know... Thank you notes, which is a joke-based mm-hmm. desk bit. You know, if the audience loves something, that's going to go in. If they hate something, it's not. Wow. Man. And then, you know, things get saved, too. It's not like just a live or die. Right, right, right. You know, we'll get rehearsal crowds that aren't great. And if, like, the cameramen are laughing, yeah. he'll still give it a shot. Yeah, you know, they're, they're t- like... and they're, Or if he likes it. I mean, if he likes yeah, it. We, we all have... That. Yeah, you just... You want to test it. Right. You want to, you know, get, com- get your confirmation. Right. But... You still, you know, obviously have to trust yourself at that level if you don't trust your own sense of humor. Obviously, it's not good. Right. And, you know, occasionally there'll be a joke that we think is funny and he thinks is really funny. But he's like, you know, this could be too far or it could be too mean, you know. Because um, as a show, we're not like a show that likes to kneecap people. You know what I mean? Like, we we like to right. be a little more positive. Yeah. So, like, we'll be like, you know what, it's funny, but is it too mean? And if the audience is like, oh, even if they get a big response, we'll be like, maybe not. Plus, um, plus Jimmy always... Seems to, he's very good at improv. Yes, and, great at improv. And, and he's also really sort of like such an endearing character. Right. And so good at sort of, you know, uh, pulling back from having done something to somebody. You're saying, God, that's just so mean. Why did I do that? God, right. I'm so mean. And and all of a sudden you find kind of forget what the joke was and you're just kind of laughing at the fact that Jimmy's making fun of himself for this or that. Right. And, uh, he's very good at that. Oh, he's, he's, he's amazing at it. And he'll like write great add-ons for stuff and, you know, and he's he's a huge part of our whole process. Like, you know, he's we have a read with him for monologue. So it's not just like we, we don't just email him jokes and he sends us back what he wants. He reads them in front of you? In, in front of us. So we sit with all the monologue writers and he goes through them and he'll like laugh and he'll tease what, them. every joke that you've written for him that day? Not every joke. We have a... Oh, we, somebody whittles it down. Someone yeah, whittles okay, it down. So of course. But we go Who's through, the head monologue writer? A guy named John Ryman. Uh-huh. And his number? <laughs> <laughs> it's Do you have his card? Um, uh, he, he goes through it and our, uh, our head... Our just general head writer, 80 Miles, goes through, through some stuff, and we you know, put together about, depending on how much he has to do and how what the news looks like, three to five pages of jokes. Sure. Um, and then Jimmy... Like two or three times what he would normally need for the show. Exactly. Uh-huh. And, you know, often a lot of takes on one topic. So it'll be like, you know, you know, Obama, you know, Obama giving out candy on Halloween will have, like, four jokes in the read-through packet, but we're really only going to do two. Right. You know what I mean? But you want right. to be like, well, there's this angle, or we could go this way. Or you can take that and right. just use it as a topper on the other one. I mean, then you exactly. construct it based on, yeah. Um, but he'll read through it, and sometimes he'll riff out a whole new joke that we'll, that we'll put in front of the rehearsal crowd. And, you know, and as a sidebar, he's just as tough with his own material. He'll write a joke during read. He'll be like, you know, it'd be funny if we did this. And if the rehearsal crowd doesn't love it, he'll cut it. Sure, yeah. You know, he's fair with his own material and sometimes, and I mean, more often than that though, he has a good idea and he knows his crowd extremely well and it'll do great and it'll get into the show. Um, But he reads it, you know, we riff and he goes through it and then 
you know, at the end of the meeting, he might decide that he wants something on a topic we didn't have enough on, or he'll be like, hey, I read this news story. Can we get something on this? So it's a good chance for us to check in with him. He sort of uses it as a warm-up before the rehearsal. It's so, just, and what, what, uh, what time of day do you first... What, when do you hand in your packet of monologue jokes? Um, I hand in my packet about... 10:30 a.m. 10:30 a.m. You you're always you ever working on some the night before? Or oh you yeah. Just, yeah. Okay. I definitely. So <clears throat> you hand them in at 10:30 to um what I'm sorry John, what's it? John, John Ryman. to John. Oh that's okay. I know John Ryman on on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you hand them in to John and then um he and maybe somebody else or just him right. he whittles it down to that chunk and then you're all called in and Jimmy comes in and reads them in front of you all. Yeah. 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 And. So the purpose of having you guys there as well is to get feedback laughter-wise. Get feedback laughter-wise. Also, sometimes he'll be like, uh, you know, I don't like this reference. What's another good reference? I like we the setup. Let's do it. So you're we'll ganging like, right, right there. Exactly. Exactly. Is there is there a tendency to, I mean, obviously you laugh. Do you see people laugh, laughing at their jokes but not others? I mean, it's, it's just <laughs> it's human nature. Sometimes yes and no. I think like... You know, everybody sort of gives a little extra breath to push their joke along. Sure. But at the same time, there are times when it's clearly... Are we just... not human? <laughs> but, like, there'll be jokes that surprise you and you laugh and he'll notice that. Like, when you're just like, bah! Because, like, something surprised you that you didn't see. Because we don't see that. And he know. doesn't know from the list who wrote it. There's no names on the list. And but he... when you laugh like that, you know it's not your joke. Right, exactly. Yeah. Unless you're... I don't... I mean, like... You gotta be really good. You gotta be really good. And, you know, there's no one on the staff who's like that, but I'm sure that in the history of comedy, there's been an asshole who's like that. But there's nobody, oh, yeah. there's nobody on, you know, oh, we're pretty fair and we all, you know, just want to put together a good show. Um, but I think he can tell. But he doesn't, he, you know, he might once in a blue moon ask who wrote what, but he really doesn't care. It's like, it's almost like as long as the team gives him something good, he's happy with the team. So there's then, no favorites. So John takes this feedback with with Jimmy in the room, you'd work on some other things. Right. And then he goes and pairs it down himself, basically, for the thing? He, par- he pairs it down in front of us. So oh. so he has, like, a marker, and it'll be like... Oh, and, you know, then, this, and then that gives you an opportunity all to have a little input on, like, it's, it's, do, you, do you come up with ideas as you're doing that? You're not going to necessarily interrupt Jimmy. Right. But you you can scribble down an idea or say, here's the top for that, and because you know that's going to come up later. Right. That you're, you're going to have an opportunity to... All this setup makes me think of a joke that, you know, with all due respect to Jess or whatever, I think is funnier. I'm going to pitch this joke. Um, We won't necessarily do that because once Jimmy's okay with it, but sometimes he'll be like, I like this topic, but I don't like any of the jokes. Yeah. Can you give me anything by rehearsal? Classic gang. Right, exactly. So there'll be that. But it's never, I think once he picks something, that's what we're doing on it. Okay. Um, I think just because he's so busy that he doesn't necessarily have time to like process things that are topping other things again occasionally in rehearsal we'll have like and this happens every you know we'll have like the audience didn't like anything that we wrote about this political story but it's the biggest story in the news so we're gonna gang write it right and then we'll put something in that wasn't rehearsed but goes in the air oh because you wrote stuff about it that didn't work he's like i don't i you know right. i don't want to use these jokes but I feel like we need, we need to, this topic. We need a Kanye Kim joke. Exactly. These ones weren't good enough. Right. I mean, the funny thing is, like, we'll do that. Like, we'll go on a run of them, uh, a run of like topics, like Kanye Kim every night. And then we'll get a note that's like, "Can we stop doing?" Oh this? yeah, you're sure. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> that. We get that, but it's with healthcare. Right. <laughs> it's just with the Affordable Care Act. This is getting a little old. We yeah. need to move on. Okay. Yeah. Let's move on to NSA. Right. Very exactly. Exciting, yeah. That's, there's more stuff going on there. We, and we definitely go through that. I mean, we got a note recently that was, you know, along the lines of, like, find a new ang- angle on John Banner. 
You know what I mean? Like, like other than him in, being orange and right, exactly him crying and being orange. It's like yeah. you know <laughs> everybody's classics. doing that angle. Let's find something else on him. And it's and you like read it and you're like, but that's what people know. But then you're like, yeah, I, as a writer, I should be able to come up with but more it, than what that. I love the idea that like you, you that would be the directive, and then you guys, you, everybody, the whole staff goes off, and like <laughs> like literally like five days later, you come back with full beards and go up and say, "There's nothing else." There's boss. nothing else. <laughs> He, he, he's just kind of an annoying dude. He's just a crying red man, an orange <laughs> man. That's all we got. But you get the note. You're like, yeah, that's true. Like, it's almost like when you're you're like, yeah, I know that I've been writing that too much. I know you're talking to me. I know. I know. Who you're, you do get notes like that occasionally where you're like, this is my fault. <laughs> and I apologize. No more puns. Got it. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's take another little break and we'll be uh, right back with Mike Drucker, writer for, if you don't know it by now, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. Don't go away. Told you, blockheads, the inside scoop. This is where you get it. You want hilarious reviews of lousy movies? Listen to The Flophouse with my friends Elliot Kalin and Dan McCoy. You want to laugh out loud at crime? Listen to the New York City Crime Report with my other friend Pat Dixon. I have three friends. But if you want to know almost everything there is to know about comedy writing, you came to the right place. Not physically. I mean, I don't know where you actually are. What I meant is that you're listening to the right show, Writer's Block. That's this show, but you knew that. And thank you, by the way, for doing that. I appreciate it. Now back to my conversation with Mike Drucker. Maybe we'll find out a little bit about his dreams and whether or not he's got any left. And we're back. I'm J.R. Havlin, your host of Writer's Block Podcast. I'm with Mike Drucker. Hello. There he is. Hi. There's your proof. <laughs> I want to talk about outside writing, projects that you do. You're stand-up. Right. You're continuing to do stand-up on a regular basis. Yep. You still do Twitter. It's limited because of, you know... You're busy. You have a job right. now. You don't really necessarily have to do it anymore. <laughs> do you have any interest in sitcom writing, screenwriting? You know, does that is that something that you see yourself going into? I mean, maybe in the future. The the weird thing about where I am in my career now is that you know when I started doing comedy, I was like, okay, I want to, I want to, you know, do enough stand up to make money off it. Then I did that. Then I was like, I want to do this. Then I did that. And I've sort of, and this sounds, this sounds corny, but I've lived all of my dreams with comedy. So now I sort of have to like figure out what well, to do with the rest of my life. And I think you need to get, you need to call Cafe Press right now and get a T-shirt made up. Hi, I'm Mike Drucker. Oh I've lived God. all my dreams. Put it on a card. I've at lived least. all my dreams. Yeah, but I've like made video games. I've, I've made video games. You can probably tell this just by looking at me. But I've lived all I've my lived dreams. I've lived all my dreams. <laughs> I'm never gonna let you down. On that one. <laughs> oh yeah, Mike, the guy that lives all his dreams. I've lived I know all my that dreams. Guy. I met him the other day. I can die now. Nice guy. Really nice guy. He's got he's got the air of somebody who's lived all his dreams. <laughs> Very depressed man who's lived all his dreams. <laughs> But so, it's hard because I don't know what I want to do after this. I mean, like, there's, I'd love... Like, maybe maybe what you meant is more, and I, I'm in the same boat, is 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 that you have exceeded your expectations. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'm not saying, like, I'm the best person ever live. No, 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 but, no, no, but... I, didn't get that, I didn't get that vibe out of it. But, <laughs> the, but the, the idea that, like, I can't even believe I'm doing what I'm doing. Right, exactly. And it's, and it's, it's almost like, you know, one, I enjoy my job and I like my bosses, you know, and I and I like being paid regularly, mm-hmm. um, you know. And it's I'm sure maybe like soon you will have a storage space like this. <laughs> One day I'll be able to fill a storage space <laughs> with Emmys, son. Yeah, with Emmys right. and bicycles, <laughs> and Emmy shaped bicycles. Emmy shaped bicycles. Um, 
you know, I would like I'd like to do sitcoms someday. I'd like to write a movie someday. Like I've written, I've written a couple movies, most of which were terrible. Most of which this made, has already been done. This though. has already been See, done. There's in my one past. thing I wanted to ask you that I've been. You've only been there for. You haven't been there for that long. You've been there for a year. Almost a year. Yeah. I don't know if this applied to the work that you did before, but now you're in a position where you're working with other people on a regular daily basis. Right. Uh, a very different process right. from working alone on stand-up, yeah. uh, from working alone writing a sitcom. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have, clearly you're still writing stand-up. Right. I don't know if you've taken the time out to continue writing spec scripts or anything. A little bit, but you know, since I'm happy at my job, that it hasn't been the mad rush it's been in the past. For sure. It's been more like, oh, you know, I'll casually write this idea and see if someone will give me money for yeah, it. Yeah, you still can. Okay, so how much of a difference, uh, if any, and I suppose, I, I, I'm going to assume there's some. Yeah. Uh, have you noticed in your in the your not only your style of writing but your 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 method of writing alone has changed since you've become so accustomed to writing with other people? It's it's my method of writing alone has become a little more disciplined, and I think that just has to do with the fact that like um, you know, as a monologue writer, I don't actually have to write a lot with others unless I have to. Well, except in the gang except thing, in the gang and that's thing, a pretty thing, common thing, right. I imagine. So yeah, it um, does happen way more often than if you didn't have a job, obviously, right. working with other people. But it's much more disciplined. I mean, you know, this what, the, what I'm sure you have the same thing. But what happens when you write for you know a show that happens every day is you don't have the leisure to be like, oh, you know what, I'm gonna hang this out and see what happens, see what people say. You're like, I wrote this, I fixed it, I sent it, it doesn't work, I'll throw it away. You know what I mean? So it's a lot more disciplined than I used to be. Uh, that said, it is a little bit harder to actually let ideas air out. Like, your mindset gets a little more in the sense that if it doesn't work right away, I have to move on to something else, which I need to work on training myself not to do with, you know, bigger projects. Yeah, on, on a daily basis, you either, you, you, you're under, you have a time constraint, you yep. have a deadline, you hit it or you don't. Right. And you'll hand in a joke that you might even like, but if it gets rejected, then it's just on a pile and you don't yep. even think about it anymore. Right. So when you you're saying when you go back in to uh, uh, to writing stand up, right? You know you might write a joke, you do it on stage, it doesn't work, and you're like, oh wait, I'm oh I can work, I can right, still exactly. work that out if I want. I can want try to it out. again. Yeah, I can it's... try it again, or put a little twist on it, or bring that bring that back. Right. It... Uh, and do you feel like you were kind of for, forgetting that? Is it it's... definitely? I mean, I you know it's I was definitely, I mean, not like forgetting it so much as you get so locked in a way of writing that you forget that there's a different way of writing other things, you know, because writing for a topical, you take the time with something you can kind of massage it, right. you can work on it. And that's, I mean, that's really what stand up is, right. uh, it, how you can make something special is writing it, going and working on it, rewriting it, going and working on it, working, right. just rewriting it on stage. And I think that's the problem that a lot of people, stand ups have when they come into writing for a show like this, I don't know if, if you you guys have ever had this, but it's sort of that idea where it's like it kind of needs to be right on the second or third try. Like you don't have a lot of time to like, because I have friends who are amazing stand-ups, but it takes them forever to craft something into the right form. Right, and but I think, and you, you'll probably agree with this, that what takes that pressure off of you personally as you're at your job is the fact that you're surrounded by people that are right, yeah. attempting to do the same thing that you're doing right. or can be called in later to fill in those gangs and stuff. And we have gang we have a lot of gangs every day. Yeah. Yeah. And we don't all look at the person or the people <laughs> who wrote that headline and be like, what the fuck? Why do we have five gangs <laughs> on your headline? 
because that, a lot of times that person, like, somebody will say a joke, oh, you know, the off the setup. Right. Oh, uh, but how about this joke? Right. And I said, actually, that's the one that I submitted. Oh, really? Good joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we do that job. all the time. We got to do better than that. Well, we've had, we've had times in our, uh, we've had times in our rehearsal packet, because then we don't know who's, nothing's marked, like, you know, on the packet for Jimmy. So we'll go into rehearsal and be like, you know, oh, uh, I'm glad that he liked this joke that I wrote. And it's like, I think I wrote that joke. And like, we'll have almost written within a word the same joke. Oh, interesting. Just yeah. because you get to know Jimmy's style and sometimes like, there was, God, there was, uh, this was months ago, but there was a joke essentially about like Hillary Clinton and Bill Clinton. And I forget the setup, but the punchline that all of us wrote where Hillary hasn't talked to Bill since 1998. I forget what the setup was. But all of us literally used the the year nineteen ninety. Like we were that <laughs> close on it. Wow! And it was such. A, it was this weird moment. Where we're all like, "That's mine." And they're like, "No, that's mine." And it doesn't. You know, we don't keep credit in a way that's like. And then you wrestle. Right. How does it, how does it work? You got to work it out somehow. You, I think like the drinking contest. God, I wish it was a drinking contest. <laughs> um, but no, you just do have those weird moments where you do write the exact same thing as someone else. Yeah, which sure. Just means you understand what Jimmy likes, which is a good thing. I think in your head you're like, oh no, I'm terrible, but you're actually figuring it out. Uh, I did want to talk about that actually, the the idea of Jimmy's voice, which you have down better now that you've worked there for uh, for a year yeah. or close to a year. When you first uh, came in, when you were writing your packet to get the job, right? Yeah, <clears throat> you probably knew Jimmy. You, you, his his voice for the show had already been solid. Like, yeah, you're not thinking. SNL anymore that that Jimmy even though it's a similar guy right it's a different thing so you know his voice from the show had you been watching the show very regularly did you just stock up on it before you wrote the thing you know um I watched I watched it a lot when it first started because I was curious about it but I hadn't watched it a ton because I was in the same position as you where I just wasn't staying up late enough and I you know was catching a lot of Fallon videos the same way I catch a lot of Daily Show videos which is like the segments I wasn't catching the up top comedy sure you know, but I watched a ton, and what helped me with writing my packet was almost the way you'd practice stand-up in the shower. Like, I'd practice monologue jokes and not do a Jimmy impression. You mean while washing your balls? While washing my balls. Yeah. In a falsetto. In a <laughs> falsetto. <laughs> but I was trying to, like, imitate his mannerisms, like, literally, like, moving the way, like, I'd see him move on camera and just try to, like... It sounds like a very corny method actor thing, but trying to just be like, if I was saying it with his cadence, how would I phrase it? Yeah, but I get it's interesting, like... That you're talking about is not just voice, it's not just cadence, it's movement. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Especially with someone who's as, you know, Jimmy started as a stand-up, but he was an impressionist. Yeah. So you have a lar- a much wider range of... Painter? He was an impressionist wow. painter. Yeah. Is, there's so many things I didn't know. He's 170 years old. Wow. So, and he, he was one he, of the masters. Yeah, he was, he's master amazing. Master of light. That's yeah, why they call him Jimmy the master of light. Right. The, you know, the reason he laughs a lot is nobody knows. <laughs> nobody knows. So he was an impressionist that... You know, how does that affect... Oh, just because... Uh, you know, so he's much more movement-based. You know, yeah. someone like, you know, Leno or Letterman or even Craig Ferguson, they were straight stand-ups. So they're just much more like, I tell the joke, I'm me. Whereas Jimmy has a little more of a wacky element. Um, there's more. There's far more opportunity for him to act something out. Right. Far, far more of a desire to act something exactly. out. Exactly. There's yeah. far more of a desire to, too. So, yeah. like, you know, adding much more emotions into things. You know, you're not necessarily just going to do a cynical punchline. You might make him pretend to be... You know, Putin. Yes. Um, And so that was a big part of it, was sort of figuring out, like, how he moves into jokes, what he likes to say, verbal tics. You know what I mean? Like, not like he's 
Rain Man or something, but you watch enough and you get to know that he likes to flow into a punchline a certain way versus, you know, because you know this, but it's easy to forget that punchline is not just like Obama spoke to this prime minister today. Prime minister said you're a, f you know, like you have to sort of flow into it a certain uh -huh. way. So picking up on the way he moved and flowed and the way he likes to talk and, you know, how often he likes to do impressions. Like I went so down the rabbit hole that I would watch 10 or 15 monologues and sort of map out the, the, the quantity as like, you as you were preparing for your right. submission, so I'd be like, "Oh, he did three. He did three political, four celebrity, three weird news jokes." So that you can balance your submission that way. Exactly. Yeah. Well, that's above and beyond. I mean, that's really that's you know, there's a lot of great things that you're saying here that I, I really think that people can use. Oh yeah. And and that is uh, that's a very interesting one. Yeah. It obviously makes sense, but uh, some people might not think to go that far yeah. in advance and. What that does, they're not going to necessarily count them. Right. But when they read through it, they're going to have that feel. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And another thing, uh, I'm sure you get this too, where it's like, I'm submitting for the show, what do I do? And the first thing you say is, here's what we wouldn't talk about. Is thinking about what Jimmy or John Stewart won't talk about in a past. You know what I mean? Like, I just say, don't spell John with an H. <laughs> on your fucking I'm sure cover he, letter. People must do that all the time. Oh, yeah. And I just shoot themselves in the face. Um, but like, when they submit to the John Daly show. The John Daly <laughs> show. We've, uh, we've received packets that are like the Jimmy Kimmel show, and we're like, we're not, nope. <laughs> Just wrong show. Just wrong show. This is not, it's King of the Hill. Why did they send this what? script? This doesn't make any sense. But, you know, thinking about what Jimmy wouldn't say in my packet. You know, like, he's not necessarily super mean. Or he doesn't necessarily do very gross medical stories. That even Leno might do. You know, Leno might do, you know, we didn't talk about the, the Trevon Martin shooting. And, you know, that's just his call. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want to talk about it. But Leno did. Now, if I was writing a packet at the time that had a lot of Trevon Martin jokes, I'm sure that would have hurt me. Right. So a lot of it's like looking at the show and being like, oh, this is a major news story and they're not talking about it. Maybe that's because they don't want to talk about it and not filling your packet with things where, you know. He doesn't want to be a controversial guy. Like, I can right. I can definitely see that. Like, not to avoid controversy. Right. It's just you know, we don't need it, why mess with it? I, I don't need to be, I don't need right. to uh, be sensational. Well, yeah, Jimmy likes being, like, a fun friend. He doesn't want to, you know... I sort of subscribe to the idea that there's... Different late-night hosts have different roles within the sphere. And Jimmy likes being a fun friend. You know, so you're not going to write... Let's go over the other ones. Let's, let's uh, you know, like... Well, I mean, like, you know, John... Letterman, Letterman's a cranky old man. Letterman's a cranky old man. <laughs> don't, don't throw your Frisbee into his studio. You're not going to get it back. Right, and I think Leno likes to be, like, sort of, like... The funny uncle. And, you know, people think he's corny, but so you think your funny uncle's corny, but that's, like, people like that character. Uh -huh. You know, Craig Ferguson might be, you know, I know that he's a recovering alcoholic, but, I mean, like, he's, like, the guy at the bar who sort of, like, has, like, a sassy opinion on something. John Stewart's sort of, like, a college professor. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, like, for, you know, John, you're not going to write, like, Kim Kardashian butt jokes every day. So it's sort of like, figure, I, or maybe you are, but, <laughs> but you're sort of figuring out what they wouldn't say. So people don't go through the pack being like, we'd never do that. We'd never do that. Never I only that. write Kim Kardashian butt jokes to justify <laughs> the number of times people walk into my office and see Kim Kardashian's butt on my computer. <laughs> As your desktop wallpaper. That's right. On your, like, three-monitor yeah. editing bag. I'm researching. I'm, this is for work. Leave me alone. Get out, get out, get out, get out. And that sounds like a weird thing to say what they wouldn't talk about, but, you know, it's just figuring out what the show's tone is. Definitely something to consider, though, because their response when they read it is going to be like, we wouldn't do this we joke. Do but this. there's another thing. I was listening to um, uh, Greg Daniels on a podcast mm -hmm. recently. He was talking about 
reading submissions and reading, uh, you know, he, he likes to read uh, spec scripts from existing shows as much as he would like an original spec script. Right. And if he likes something that somebody's written, he says, okay, now show me something else. So you have to have a number of these things prepared in yes. case, like, okay, I have my original, but I also want, and this is great, I love it, I want to see a, uh, you know, I want to see a a, 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 a a new girl right from you because I want to see how you're able to capture characters that, that I'm familiar with. Right. <clears throat> and he was saying, he was talking about somebody who had submitted to him one of the funniest spec scripts that he had ever read and it was a Larry Sanders and even though it was the funniest script he'd ever read he said there's no way they would do it on Larry Sanders right and that was part of what made it amusing to him like it was over sexed or whatever it right. was they so it's interesting that whoever submitted that I mean they captured the voice of the characters and right. stuff, so that's what they like but as far as like what they're actually going to do on that show. Right. They didn't get that, but that didn't seem to matter to him at that point, but that may have also just been a place that he was at, having read everybody that kind of nails it. Right. He wanted something different. And I think you also have a little more leeway with sitcoms because, like, you know, again, with the the late night show, if they hire you, they're like, we need to make sure you fit in now, you know, because we have a show tonight. Versus with a sitcom, (laughs) you know what I mean? Versus, like, a sitcom is sort of like, oh, you wrote, like, and you wrote a hilarious Larry Sanders show. You sort of get it. You can fill in. Mm-hmm. And I also think that late night shows are a little different from sitcoms in that, you know, it's almost like when you write a late night packet, you're writing a spec for that late night show in a weird way, whereas you wouldn't normally do that for any other sitcom. You know what I mean? Like, you wouldn't write, if you want to work on Parks and Rec, you wouldn't necessarily write right. a Parks and Rec spec, whereas if you're applying well, you for... Well, you wouldn't. You just flat out You just wouldn't. Flat out wouldn't. Yeah. But if you're applying for my show, you have to write... You oh, know, now it's your show. Now it's now, if you're writing for my show, which <laughs> I executive produced and created. Um, but if you're writing for like a late night show, you have to write a packet that applies directly to that show. Like you wouldn't write a, a, a packet for Colbert to apply for Daily Show. You'd write a Daily Show packet. Right. And I think there's a little more you have to be spot on with your understanding of it in that way. Right. As opposed to just being able to show that you can generally capture the voice of a of a given character right. that is familiar to the person that's working on a show that has different other characters. Right. Good point, Mike Drucker, along with many other good points and good stories. I really appreciate you coming by. Thank man. you for having me. I appreciate it's, it. It's great to meet you. It's nice. Can I have one of your Emmys? Can I just take one? There. I I have a leasing program. I have thirty dollars in my pocket. That it's you're close. <laughs> You're close. It'll get that'll get you. You can walk up and down the street with it, and then come back. <laughs> just take a photo with it You'd from be the surprised. back. Send it to my folks. Be surprised how fun it is to walk up and down the street with an Emmy. <laughs> a lot of people will stop you and ask you how you won an Oscar. It's like a... <laughs> because they're fucking idiots. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say goodnight. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Uh, Mike Drucker, writer for Late Show with Jimmy Fallon. Say goodnight, Mike. Good night. Thank you for having me. All right.